Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I apologize for the weird glitchiness of the opening there. There's something going on with my stream yard on this end. Not a surprise for the day that it is, but thank you for joining us on the anniversary of September 11th. Joining me today, yet again, is James Corbett and Brock West. Excited to be here to be airing the world premiere of their outstanding part three of this outstanding documentary series. How are you guys today? Very good. Very exhausted. Yeah. But ready to do this. I can imagine. I can imagine. I wanted to shout out a couple things before we get started on this. I'm really excited. One that I have not watched this yet. I wanted to make sure I watched it live with you guys. You can we can jump in. We're going to make comments. If you know if and when it's important to do so. And I want to make sure that I reiterate something that I didn't really make clear the second time, which is that one of the main reasons we're doing this, the watch along and 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 the documentary on T Lab is to is to promote the idea of the pirate streams. T-Lab Pirate Streams, Corbett Pirate Streams, the idea that what we're doing is essentially trying to re you know, reimagine, to use their word, the model that they're trying to put out and make sure we can circumvent their censorship. And that's by using channels of our users that allow them, allow them to be used. And so we can jump from channel to channel as we continue to get censored over and over and over. And so we want to do that today. And James is doing this as well. So I think that's a really important thing to help us fight past this censorship today. And I thought it was really funny that as I was dealing with my pirate stream channels, I realized I just got an appeal that what, which I do appeal, by the way, every time it happens every single day, I did get an approved appeal, even though I typed cowards, hashtag heal pirate streams. And they gave it, I, who knows what's going on. They're confused apparently by all of this, their, alg their algorithms, as James Corbett said, they've broken themselves to censor us. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the bots must've, uh, must have, well, you know, it, you can't argue with that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Maybe we are cowards, you know, but <laughs> But it, this is this is a somber day in general, guys, and I definitely think that this is an important discussion and an important topic that really needs to be, and I think, I mean, there's no better day, obviously, than to see the third part of this come to fruition because this is an important discussion that is, in my opinion, tied to literally everything we're talking about. I know that seems a little yeah. abstract for some people, but mm. the biosecurity state is part Hopefully, two of the Hopefully, that state, won't right? be abstract. By the time you get to the end of this documentary, you'll start to see how this all ties into exactly what we're dealing with today. This is not some dusty ancient history. This is an essential part of the fabric of the reality of what we're living through right now. And uh, I will just say it once again, as much as is contained in here, there's at least that much that could have been in here. So everyone make note of what you think could have and should have been in part three. And I'll make, a, you know, 17 more documentaries. <laughs> just about that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to each one. Uh, well, it, 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 before we get into this, though, I didn't know if you guys wanted to say anything in general, uh, you know, just about the work that was done, any notes before we get started or any just kind of comments in general about, you know, September 11th and, and why this is important or, you know, either one of you. Brock, what would you say to introduce people to part three here? Um, I think this is going to be one of the most relevant parts, obviously, because the vast majority of the audience has lived through this. Uh, myself, I'm in my late 30s now, so part one and part two were a little bit just before my time, obviously, in terms of understanding and getting to grips with how the world really works and what's going on. Um, but part three, uh, you know, we, we left off on the uh, end of part two at the doorstep of, of, of September 11, 2001. And now we're going from then to now. We've all lived this and I'm very, very excited and very keen to see uh, the audience's reaction. Um, very also excited to uh, take any questions at the end as well. Any questions you guys may have about anything, about the editing process or about what was left out or, you know, um, feel free to pick uh, James and myself's brain about it. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Um, there is, a, we have all lived through this and presumably people in this audience will have their own perspective on it and, and things, but I, I'm betting there's a lot of stuff in here. There's probably a lot of stuff in here that people didn't know before. There's other things that maybe they did know, but have probably forgotten because in the 24 seven news feeds that keep getting churned and people just get pushed along and never have time to actually stop. And Oh, wait, that was total absolute baloney. And yet we just all kind of believed it for some reason. Um, so uh, hopefully that is part of the process of what's going on here. And yes, um, on the pirate stream note, yes, anyone watching this on GooTube, go elsewhere, please. Uh, you will not find this information um, being broadcast on YouTube, generally speaking, because of course it is no, no information to actually inform yourself about what's happening in the world. So yes, please seek out and find alternative platforms. The place to start would be to go to Ryan's work directly, thelastamericanvagabond.com, and then you can find the links to whatever he's doing, or corbettreport.com if you're interested in my work, and you can find the links to the various platforms where I post. YouTube is not one of those platforms. So that is the that is what we're attempting to do, reaching out into the matrix to pull people out of it. And what better way to do that than with a two-hour, 18,000-word deep dive into the past 20 years of history, more relevant today than it, I think it has ever been, um, given the domestic terror ideas and memes that are being bandied about right now and how this entire war of terror apparatus is now being wielded directly at the population. Uh, pretty relevant, I'd say. Anyway, let's echo that. Yes, get your questions in. Whatever platform you're watching, leave questions, and uh, we'll do our best to answer them. Absolutely. And I, I'd like to make sure we show this for everyone just to know where to find this, the three different parts. I'll include this. This is actually already posted on the on the page where you can see and, you know, and make sure you go back if you haven't and watch part one, part two. I mean, and really even just go and watch the doc, the documentaries by themselves on Corbett's page, which I'll also include because it's important that you don't just watch this last part. I mean, it's it's going to be the culminating point, but there's so much in it, as Corbett pointed out. That, you know, even myself, where you watch when you first see these, you it's you think you know this stuff and it's amazing even parts you didn't know or parts you forgot about. And it definitely relates, as you guys know, in my opinion, to right this moment, as he pointed out, the, it's directed at you. But in fact, we now see it's even going directed internally in your body, right? This is your, as Whitney said, your body is the new battlefield and that's where this seems to be going. So yeah. excited to watch this, guys. Let's jump into Let's it. Let's do it. Previously on The Corbett Report. We're going to take a little pause here and address a couple of the important points. Uh, I just, just since we stopped, I just want to say this is really outstanding so far. And I really like the tone uh, that, I mean, as you know, your work is always showing the reality, but it's, it's taking a tone, which we should be taking today, which it's, this is clear. You know what I mean? Like the evidence is leading in a very obvious direction. It's not, it's unequivocal, you know? So just go ahead. If you guys have some points you want to make, I think this is great so far. Yeah. I, I must admit I did, uh, cop that idea or that phrase or that terminology from Lord Robertson, uh, the NATO uh, uh, commander there, who um, said at the time, the evidence is clear and compelling. And that phrase just sticks like a cry in my side because clear and compelling. And then when you actually see the evidence they were looking at, literally nothing, truly, literally nothing. Well, this is, this looks like the type of terror attacks that we know Al-Qaeda has done in the past. Asterisk C part two, if you want more information about that. But yeah, oh, therefore, this was Al-Qaeda. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's transparent nonsense. And that's pre precisely why that 
briefing was classified and the mm -hmm. details were never um, given to the public openly. They were leaked through intelwire.com in 2009 and we finally found out, oh yeah, it was nothing. But at the time, I bet you, you know, 99.9% .9 of the public on the planet, including myself, well, you know, sounds compelling, clear and compelling. So yeah, th thank you for picking up on that. That's, mm -hmm. that's a phrase that definitely stuck it was stuck in my head as I was writing this and I wanted to throw it back in their face because actually the evidence is clear and compelling that this is a total transparent sham. Right. It just, since you made, said that point, I'm the first thing that pops into my mind and I've got a few things that I, we, you know, talk about now or relate to the end, but the Bethlehem doctrine, right? The same thing that the Israeli government uses that the UK, even though it's kind of supposed to be secret in the U S but they're the three primary that use this idea. For those that don't know, essentially means that if we believe that there's some kind of a threat, whether we can prove it or not, just the indication that it's something they may have done before, exactly like that, they can preemptive self-defense attack. So do you think that that was already playing a role right there? Just your oh, opinion? Absolutely. I mean, it, there was there was only the, the most transparent fig leaf of an attempt to make any sort of cover for this. It was really just the legal excuse for doing what they were going to do anyway. and. Again, anyone who was involved in this process probably understood that. But the, for the general public, they're just being told what to think by the talking heads. I mean, who who in the general public even followed, oh, the, you know, the North Atlantic Council is meeting today. I wonder what they discussed. I mean, it's not like anyone in the general public even knows about that type, type of level of detail, let alone the details of the classified briefings that we're not allowed to know about. But yeah, absolutely. They have just general doctrine of, okay, we need this sort of carte blanche. So what can we do? Oh, we'll just hold some meeting, say it's classified and say that justifies everything. And that's the point I'll add to that too. Just to clarify, I'm not suggesting like that they will literally make up even that flimsy excuse to then argue that they, you know, that's the crazy part about it. There's nothing sacred apparently. And the whole NATO tie in with article five and it just kind of begins like the world army for the budding world government. I mean, it, which never really went away. It's just all based on literally nothing. It's mind blowing, but uh, you guys had some questions you wanted to address or you wanted to, to address a couple of things. Yeah. Just one point, And this relates perfectly to the, to Robinson's clear and compelling evidence, James, the the Rumsfeld cave fortress image. <laughs> now, during the, that was uh, that's a live broadcast. Meet the press, I believe it was of Tim Tim Russet, and um, that is the that is the image that the the administration was running with. That there is this gigantic ventilated, air conditioned, five star Michelin star restaurant in there that that Bin Laden was supposedly um, holding out in Tora Bora. James, if I remember correctly. You actually source where that where that image came from. Was it in London somewhere? UK based Oracle? Uh yes, it was from a newspaper. I don't remember which one. I I, I don't remember if it said on screen on that Meet the Press, mm. but at any rate, I believe it was the Times, but I'm not exactly sure. Anyway, it was a London or a UK paper. Yeah. So I mean that's and that's what they were running with, you know, like just, yeah. just another example. I, yeah. Now to be clear. You created that comic book. Yes, <laughs> I was going to say, I love that, uh, concoction. <laughs> but yes, they created the actual image that they showed on Meet the Press there, which has always, uh, you know, there are, there are the little different things that stick out in people's minds as, the, as something that they just always knew was just nonsense. Uh, the passport being magically discovered in the dust of you know, Ground Zero and that kind of stuff. But for me, this is one of those things. Like from... I've never been able to look at that clip and not just think that is just how, how could they even try to pass that off as being real? 
I really did like the comic book part of it though, you know, because it, it's, it's just kind of puts it in the right framing. I think it's exact. I mean, but that's the crazy part about this that all these are showing is that these are, I mean, just taking the, 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 uh, the article five document we're discussing there that led to article five. That's one of those points where that argument people make, like, how could, how could so many people know and not speak out? Well, that's a good point right there. There, that kind of shows you that it is bigger than just some top-down thing. There's a lot of people that had to know that there was nothing there and just chose not to speak about it. Sort of kind of the COVID thing we're seeing today. You know, it's very weird. If I recall correctly, I'm sorry, sorry, James. No, um, if, I, if I recall correctly, they were dangling Article Five at the beginning of the uh, Russian-Ukraine war as well. If I remember correctly. That's oh, right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. always the specter there. And and yeah. that's precisely I mean, that's that's a heart the heart of the issue in some sense. The more that you have these peripheral Eastern European states that are now part of NATO, the more likely it is that some sort of action will be interpreted as some sort of attack on them. It was also dangled even during the Syria conflict. I talked about it at the time with um Turkey. Of course, NATO member Turkey right there on the doorstep. And and there was there was some uh, staged attacks that were that Turkey was trying to say, hey, looks like the Syrian, those Kurdish terrorists are trying to get us and they're in Syria. So NATO boots on the ground in Syria. And that that was dangled there for a long time. And still at a moment's notice, it could be the next false flag event could be right around the corner anywhere in any NATO country that they could then blame on whoever they want at any time give a classified briefing behind closed doors that you'll never know about. Well, we were convinced. So now we're at war and that's it. And as a Canadian, so this is my perspective on it as a Canadian. uh, This is, this is my entree into this because, you know, obviously a lot of this centering around the United States and the attack in New York and Washington and blah, blah, blah. But as a Canadian, suddenly Canada's involved in marching off to war in Afghanistan. We got troops on the ground. Why? What did what? What's happening here? Why are we? What's going on here? Oh, it's because of this clear and compelling evidence. Australia as well. Yep. Now, just quick question: You guys might know. Do, would they even need to initiate Article Five again? As far as I understand it, that never really went away, right? I mean, that's still happening. Oh. The war on terror. So, they, would they arguably wouldn't even need to initiate another justification? Would they? Now, my yeah, I'll I'll have to I'll have to do the deep dive on this, and maybe I can follow up on this, but. I would say I, I believe the invocation of Article Five was specifically about Osama bin Laden being te- protected by the Taliban in Afghanistan. So I believe it was specifically for the Afghanistan operation in that particular occasion. Hmm. The authorization for use of military force was the legislation that was passed in the U.S. Congress in the immediate wake of 9-11. That was the carte blanche for the entire U.S. Right. war on terror that's to this day, continues to be applied and and used in whatever way, whatever administration comes along, wants to use it, they can just extend it because it really was this carte blanche. Anything that the president deems is part of this fight against this terrorist enemy that's not defined, they can do. So, I mean, Somalia or wherever, they can say it's part of the authorization for use of military force. So the US government literally has this blank check that they can do absolutely anything in the name of this. NATO... From my understanding, I believe Article 5 invocation was specifically about Afghanistan. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great point. And you're right. I, in, if I, now that I'm remembering, that's the discuss, That's the legislation that brought, as you just made clear, broadly says basically ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or any affiliated, associated, and that becomes whatever they want it to be. That's, 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 I'm glad we brought that up. That's, it just shows you this pay, I mean, we need to see how this translates to today. And I think you guys mentioned the next false flag, Ukraine, 
it doesn't necessarily have the trappings of like the way it began as like as a usual false flag, but there's all the same kind of things that we're seeing there. It might as no, well be but that. remember, remember, they were warning Russia is right. going to commit a false flag. Remember, that was right. part right. of the lead up to all of this. And so now uh, it is strange, but now that this gets seeded in the public consciousness and more people are aware of it, I don't think they can do a straightforward what they did in yeah. the past. Now they have to take into account that the public is at least aware of the concept of false flag terrorism, which I've always posited as one of the wins, as it were, of the 9-11 truth movement and things that we're doing, um, is that we have brought this to public attention. Because I remember back 15 years ago when I started the Corbett Report, it was still the most common question when you tried to bring up the idea of 9-11 truth to anyone. Why would the government attack itself? It was this like it was unimaginable, like that mm -hmm. people couldn't conceive of why this would even take place. Now, I think more and more people are at least aware of what the strategy might be involved. So I think they have to take that into account. So they'll do things like warn. I think Russia is going to stage some sort of attack. And then if the attack happens, they can say, see, we told mm -hmm. you Russia was going to do it. Right. Right. Great point. Well, I, I only had a couple other comments that I wanted to make, unless you guys had any other questions you want to put it, you know, add. There was another question that I saw in the GooTube chat, um, but it relates specifically to the uh, the Bin Laden compound raid and, and that thing, which we're going to get to, obviously, later on in the documentary. So we'll cover it when we get there. But cotton-headed ninny muggins, just know that your question will be answered. <laughs> also, for cotton-headed ninny muggins and any other GooTube users out there, please get off GooTube and please watch this on another platform. But yes, yes. your question will be answered. Absolutely. Yeah. And, we, and like we said in the beginning, make sure that you hold them to the end and we'll po post them to the different mediums and we'll, we'll bring them over. But I just thought it was really interesting. The, the, some of the things that like, that I'm not even make uh, that I'm not even sure I was necessarily fully aware of the things like uh, Bush twice refusing to take bin Laden. I mean, that's crazy to think about. Like, how do you even rationalize that? And if you guys know, is there any kind of a justification for that now that it's known? Uh, yes. I mean, it was widely reported at the time. It was essentially, we, we don't negotiate with terrorists, that sort of thing. And as we are right about to see, as we're just getting into right now, maybe back it up a few seconds, um, we are getting into the point where they start pivoting it's not about Osama bin Laden, guys. Don't right. focus on this guy. It's about terror, like Iraq, right? So that's exactly where we're heading now. Interesting. Well, I, I, the last one I had was just simply that, you know, what was the excuse? Same kind of point. What was the justification, if any, that they gave for removing the CIA head of Afghanistan? You know? Oh, right. Yeah. So the whole Burnson thing. Um what was the justification? I I literally I've just reread Jawbreaker recently. Um what was he told about why he was being removed? I can't remember what the justification was. It was obviously nonsense because mm -hmm. quite specifically, who did they replace him with? Richard Blee. Mm -hmm. He's the new guy coming into Kabul right here in the midst of this, you know, incredibly important operation that could be the end of the war of terror, but it certainly was not. And who did he bring with him? Michael and Casey. And for people who were studying part two, and remember, these are the exact same people in the uh, bin Laden unit, Alex Station at CIA in Langley, who were the ones who literally stopped, actually stopped the information about uh, uh, Al-Maidar and Al-Hazmi from going to the FBI or anyone else that could have conceivably done anything about that information. They actively stopped that information from going as it normally would have done. Um, and we know that the, the document signed, sealed, delivered. We know that these people were involved in that. And then they get posted over to Afghanistan where they start 
they come in and Bin Laden gets away. Wow, imagine that. Uh, it, it's it's such a rich tapestry, as <laughs> James and, uh, M. Pilato at Medium Ronarchy would say. In the words of Richard Clark, it would have had to have come from the CIA director, right? That's what he said. That's what he right. said. I mean, just all these, the dialysis and, the, you know, the, the whole story, it's just, it's such a flimsy, ridiculous dumpster fire of lies. And it's so obvious that I'm, so I'm just, you know, thank you. It again. gets worse. Let's, yeah. let's get back to the show. All right. We'll see more. Jump it in. The war on terror launched in Afghanistan and waged in Iraq was never meant to end there. All right, let's uh, come back for a minute here. I've, I've got. Okay, we are just, just, just about to get into what may be the craziest part of this story and the change in the war of terror narrative that happened there. So I want people to be prepared for that, but we should probably just take a little breather and answer some questions. Okay. Brock, and, and, and that's, that's saying a lot, isn't it? To say that this might be the craziest part, given yeah. the <laughs> we've already seen. Indeed. Well, I've, I've got a couple, a, one, a couple questions in general. Uh, Brock, you said you had one, or somebody had one from uh, the YouTube side. Oh, uh, I have, I have one. Okay. Uh, this comes from the esteemed Doctor Bass Ackwards. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder what uh, medical specialty Doctor Bass Ackwards is. Perhaps uh, proctology. <laughs> anyway, uh, Doctor Bass Ackwards writes. Uh, Always wondered why they didn't just pretend to find WMDs in Iraq weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, right? Because they'll will lie about absolutely anything and everything to do with this story, right? So why not lie about it? Well, actually, they did try to float a lie years later that I know some people picked up on because I did get a question for it that I answered in questions for Corbett years ago, maybe 2015 or something like that, which was there was a story that came out in the New York Times in 2014 about uh, actually they, the troops did discover some chemical weapons in Iraq and they had these health problems with it and the Bush administration covered that up and now we can reveal this to you. So actually, actually, <laughs> there really was WMD, guys. Um, but that's that's total bunk, as you might imagine. So um, for the, the real debunking of this, I will direct people to uh, Scott Horton's book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And in his chapter on the Iraq war, he has a whole section on this particular lie. He writes, uh, for years, a viral email went around which claimed that soldiers found the weapons of mass destruction after all. And it was just too bad that George W. Bush was too honorable to take credit for being right. But that is not true. All you need to do is read the actual article the email's authors cherry picked from. And then he goes into that New York Times article I cited earlier. Long story short, it was it was bunk, uh, and actually, it points actually it points to the uh, the the weapons of mass destruction, the chemical weapons that were sold to the Iraqis in the eighties. It had nothing to do with any sort of you know new weapons program in the nineties that justified the invasion in two thousand three or anything like that. It was pointing towards certain things that had been discovered regarding the stuff from the eighties, but even then it was stuff the UN already knew about. A again, it was total lie, but it was floated enough that e I know even people in my audience said, well, didn't they fi actually find some WMDs? No, they did not. So why didn't they lie is still a good question. Why didn't they just say they found it? Mm -hmm. Oops, hey, look, there's a big stash here. They could have undoubtedly gotten away with it as, as we can see, or yeah, as we can see through this documentary, they lie about so much. Or, it, or does, it does create at least the possibility 
that, you know, maybe in the end, the Bush administration and the neocons were set up to take a fall mm. in the long run, because the people who might be puppeteering this larger run agenda, perhaps know, you know, several dominoes down this chain of events. This is this is going to unravel in various ways. We can throw certain people under the bus. Look at what they did with Iraq. How can that narrative be used going forward? I think that's something we have to put our thinking caps on about. That's interesting as what maybe even just the entire United States in and of itself being used in this way, you know, by larger forces. Exactly right. Because because one of the things that has emerged is, you know, America evil. Therefore, you know, UN good. Mm. Right. And that is one strain of thought that sort of inserted itself um, in this time of craziness of the Bush administration. Very concerning. It, it, it speaks to something you've also made clear in, a lot in the past that, you know, we tend to, to put this air of omnipotence on some of these agenda perceptions or the government themselves. And it's not really ever that way, you know, that there's there are ways they can be tripped up by people within because as you point, if we point out in a lot of different ways, they want people to believe that they're good, even people that work underneath them, that there's some larger greater good they're working toward. And if somebody in that position finds out, that could potentially be problematic. I mean, who knows? There's possibilities, but that could be one reason. But it's a great question. It seems they can just make up literally from whole cloth, which was kind of what I was just thinking about as this whole part went through. It's really just mind-blowing to think about the the, the Bin Laden evidence that with, earlier in the episode, that you know, the Article 5 discussion, completely not there, fabricated. The WMD lie entirely. The Zarqawi psyop that they basically admit to. Again, the Bin Laden, why wouldn't we assume the same thing? You know, same idea. The, the translation of Bin Laden's video. I mean, just one to the next. It's like you start wondering, like I am today with everything else. Like, did were people even truly buying this? entirely or were we just being presented with the idea that because how can you possibly i mean i guess because this stuff wasn't really fully aware to everybody that's exactly it it's because now when you go back and you look at the details of Mm -hmm. all of these parts when you actually research it and actually dig down oh that was total lie that was total nonsense that was stupid but no one was doing that or very few people were doing that at the time right most people are just Seeing the the daily news headlines and the evening news and the background as they're eating their TV dinner or, or, you know, glancing through the newspaper. Most people were not keeping up with it to this extent. But as soon as you do, as soon as you have the ability to go back and dig up this information and really look at it. And that's I mean, honestly, that is part of the marvel, in a sense, of the time we're living through, where someone like me sitting in a living room in Japan can be literally compiling and putting all of these pieces of the puzzle together in a way that makes it absolutely obviously transparent that this is a lie um, in a way that perhaps wasn't even possible a couple of decades ago because the internet was not what it was, what it is now. Right. That's a huge point right there. That The last thing I'm thinking of is there's little pieces of what we see building in today. You know, the, the, the deep fake discussion, the climate change point that gets shoehorned in out of nowhere it's very (laughs) osama was really (laughs) concerned about climate change guys it makes no sense at all yeah but the deep fake thing is really interesting to see how far back that could have been being used and we're barely even just being told about it now you know even though it's probably already happening all over the place we can't see you know we see but don't know very interesting i i only had one question i had but i'm going to save it till the end from somebody else that was more of a kind of a broad question did you guys have any other questions pulled from the chats you want to get into in between here I have plenty of questions, but yeah, I'm going to leave them for uh, the Q&A at the end. Okay. Sure. All right. So everyone else on whatever platform you're on, get your questions in. We'll answer them at the end. I think we'll go straight through to the end because this is the important 
meat of uh, where we're heading here. So we'll go straight through to the end and answer any questions at the end. Yep. Outstanding. And I, for those who know, I, I have been trying to pull some off to the side. So you guys, you're not, you know, try to save them till the end, but we are pulling them as we see them if we can. So, all right, let's get back to it. Excited to see the finish here. The other strain of radicalism in the Middle East. Absolutely. Well done, guys. Absolutely. I mean, just, I mean, I'm so glad you took it there in the end, guys. I think, you know, I've been harping on this topic. I mean, just so absolutely well done. And I have to note on almost a, at least maybe I take it this way, sort of like a positive feeling about this. Like we are seeing through this, people are realizing what's going on. And for whatever that reason is, I, you know, it's hard not to feel a little bit of a positive feeling from this whole thing, you know? So just thank you guys for your outstanding work. Really, truly. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for pointing that out, because I think that relates to what we were talking about earlier. The fact that false flag as a concept has now entered the public consciousness. And I think the propagandists have to deal with that. And of course, they will find ways to deal with that. And, oh, well, actually, the Russians are planning a false flag or whatever. But it has to they have to increase it and spin it even further every single time. And the mm -hmm. further and further, the more things that are exposed, I think the more difficult it becomes for these would-be terror perpetrators to commit outright acts of uh, of terror themselves and then blame them on enemies. People are, are wise, wiser than they used to be. And I think that does speak to that. And that was that was one point that's made there. Just in passing at the very end, again, it was not enough time. This, again, we could probably do an entire documentary just about the domestic terror mm -hmm. meme. But that was one of the sides of that point. The, the war on terror, the war of terror that they've been waging for the past couple of decades does feel more like yesterday's news, like public has moved on. Baghdadi? Oh, I think I'd heard that name, right? Zawahiri? Who is that again? Was that? Oh, that was the leader of Al-Qaeda? He's dead now? Okay, whatever. It really has not been. As we saw in 2011, USA, USA, they got Osama. That was That was a psychologically impacting event. These latest ones aren't. So yes, people are moving on and they have they, they are more willing to see through the, the transparent lies of the terror war now. Now, absolutely, we in the independent media space have to be gearing people towards applying that knowledge to what we are seeing literally right now. They're going to take all these same types of schemes and plans and things they have perpetrated in the past and do them again. But it'll be a slightly different variation of it. Now it'll be bioterrorism or whatever, but they're going to try the exact same things. And the public is wiser. Can they do something about that? Can they use this knowledge? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's important for people to do the research, you know, and check out the work we've done at The Last American Vagabond. But there's a lot of great people out there focusing on the point of what's going on in Ukraine. The Azov movement, really, the battalion originally, but now it's a broad movement. The entire government's overtaken by this. And that the CIA documentably, Operation Aerodynamic, is on the record of funding and building this group, right? It's the exact same thing over and over. We just need to start. I mean, this, I, I always feel like that's what we say. We need to start seeing and paying attention. I'm at the point, though, where I try truly think we're proving that people have already been aware of this. They're just convinced that they're the only one that sees it. We need to realize that everybody sees this. You're not alone. People are realizing what's going on. And if your neighbor doesn't know, show them this, let them see it. You know, I mean, it's a positive note. I can't help but feel that way right now. You know, 
Good. Well, I don't yeah. want this to just be doom and gloom and, you know, oh, everything's fake and it's all been a lie and we're all just doomed. No, we are right. not all just doomed. We can at the very least learn from history so that it does not repeat. Yeah. And, I, and they're definitely trying to frame people in this country right now. And I truly don't think it's a partisan thing. I mean, I think that needs to be said. This is about using a group and dividing the country so you don't see the real culprit of what's yeah. really going on. You know? Yeah, you'll notice that in that, that very short clip montage at the end there with the domestic terror meme, Trump was in there too. Right. Look, they're terror. They're domestic terrorists. That's what this is, domestic terrorism. And a lot of people on the right would say, yeah, you know, those riots were domestic terrorism. Well, you are buying into the entire you don't know when you say that, you don't know the, the decades of lies that you are bringing into and essentially validating that check, stamping it, you know, okay, all right, let's use all that terror war infrastructure and now we can use it against the Dems, yay. And of course the Democrats are trying to use it against the Republicans and right. it becomes that two-party illusion that you often talk about. And you can clearly see that, you know, we're talking about the transition away from this, the, you know, from Al Qaeda to ISIS and so on. But now it's vanilla ISIS. And that's not even a joke. That's something that was actually discussed as, you know, they kind of put it to bed, I think, because it was ridiculous. But they still kind of point at it. But that's what they're transitioning to the at home version. And it's very, very public, you know, and I also can't. I mean, your work in this, just this documentary series has made this clear, but for those that have forgotten part one already, which I'm sure a lot of people have already forgotten some of it, is the the whole Taliban, or the rather Mahujuddin point and the, the fascist entity, really, the CIA built, that's like the mindset, against Soviet Union. That's the same point with the Azov movement. That's what their documentation literally says. A fascist entity against the Soviet Union, which later became Russia. You know, it's it's very transparent. And I think we're seeing it, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, questions that I have pulled aside that people had asked. And I want people right now, guys, if you want to go ahead and drop them in the chats, we'll start grabbing them up from any points you want to come at this. I, mean, I don't know if you guys want to take them about the process separately. Well, let's answer if there's any specific content related questions first, okay, and then perfect. we'll get into process related questions. So I, I, I will finally answer the long awaited question of the esteemed cotton headed ninny muggins <laughs> that everyone's been on the edge of their street seat for uh, in the GooTube chat. I hope he has left that chat and gone to Odyssey or Rumble or Rockfin or somewhere else. But anyway, uh, he did write, refresh my memory. Was it true that SEAL Team 6 all perished in a helicopter crash, allegedly? Well, yes, yes, allegedly. All right, so for people who don't know, of course, SEAL Team 6, one of the most elite special forces units in the U.S. military, um, I think officially called, well, DEVGRU, what, what is it, uh, the uh, Naval Special Warfare Development Group. At any rate, this extremely elite cadre of warriors that is, uh, I, I don't think they weren't officially admitted, but very, very little has ever been talk uh, spoken about them until the Osama bin Laden raid and it kind of, it was immediately, oh, it was SEAL Team 6. It was this crack special forces squad. And that caused a bit of controversy, um, as we shall see. But yes, just a few months later, in August of 2011, so just a few months after whatever happened in Abbottabad, uh, we get the downing of a Chinook helicopter in Afghanistan um, under the call sign Extortion 17, um, this helicopter went down, killing 38 personnel on board. Among the casualties were 30 Americans, including 17 Navy SEALs. Um, it was the worst single loss of life day for the U.S. in the war in Afghanistan, and was also the worst in the history of naval special warfare. 
Um, the Chinook was carrying a quick reaction force to provide backup to troops on the ground in the eastern Afghan province of Wardak when its Taliban insurgent hit the Hilo with an unguided rocket-propelled grenade that brought it down. According to the International Security Assistance Force, the team on the ground, believed to be Army Special Operators, broke away from its firefight and moved to defend the crash site, but the damage had been done. The final death toll included 15 members of SEAL Team 6, seven Afghan National Army Commandos, five U.S. Naval Special Warfare Support Personnel, three U.S. Army Reserve Personnel from the 7th Battalion, 158th Aviation Regiment, two U.S. Navy SEALs from a West Coast-based SEAL team, two U.S. Army personnel, et cetera, et cetera, and a partridge in a pear tree. I'm not making fun in our light of this, but it, uh, there was a list of people who were involved, including um, uh, over a dozen SEAL Team 6 members. Now, the official, the official word is that, don't worry, guys, it wasn't those SEAL Team 6 members. So the official word was that um, no one involved in the Osama bin Laden raid specifically was on that helicopter. Um, take it for what it's worth. It's the official pronouncement. But conspiracy theories, as I think even the bastion of truthiness Wikipedia calls them, immediately came up about this entire event. But from a sort of mainstream supporting perspective. So um, right in the event, uh, at the time, U.S. Central Command said it was just a Taliban fighter that just got lucky with a stray rocket-propelled grenade. And, you know, wouldn't you know it, killed a bunch of SEAL team members and other other warriors in Afghanistan. Well, uh, immediately, the family members started to have questions about it. And uh, people can read about it. There's a U.S. news report from 2013. Obama put a target on their backs. SEAL Team 6 family members say. Uh, there's one from the Washington Mooney Times. Uh, Obama stonewalls SEAL Team 6 extortion 17. Helicopter cash, crash probe watchdog says. So there was there was some some talk about this. But it was from the perspective that because Osama... Uh, sorry. That's an interesting slip that happens more than it should. <laughs> Obama immediately announced, immediately, and the whole administration was blabbing their mouths about every part of that raid, and every part of it was untrue, as you saw. But they were immediately said, it was SEAL Team 6, they immediately identified that, and event. I'm, I'm sure by that point in August, some of the names had actually gotten out by that point. Anyway, um, the, the family member said, Look, you put a seal, a, a target on the back of every SEAL Team 6 member in Afghanistan because obviously people were in that area, the, the, the Taliban and others would be angry about this. So the, the theory was essentially that the Afghan forces knew that this helicopter was going on this particular mission in this particular valley at this particular time. And they leaked it to the Taliban fighters who then were ready and knew and set up a trap essentially for that Chinook. Um, so that's essentially where that story went. And as far as I know, th there was no official probe that ever, you know, got to the bottom of this as, you know, as the Mooney Times and others reported that it was stonewalled. But so in the end, it kind of supports the official story. Yes, they got Osama. And yes, it, it was a conspiracy insofar as those damn Dems and o Obama led them into a trap by essentially spilling the beans about SEAL Team 6 and their valiant heroic raid on Abbottabad. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's not, it's obvious point to think about is whether or not, you know, these like were the names ever released. I can't remember of the people that were involved. So has anybody followed up with those individuals? And yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I just read uh, no easy day um, in preparation for this part three, um, which is the account of 
one of the people involved in the raid, one of the people who actually apparently shot. Robert, Robert O'Neill. Robert O'Neill, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I read uh, No Easy Day. Didn't get much out of it other than official story kind of stuff. But yeah, the, the names are out there. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, the 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 the, the one that comes to my mind from this, the, the question that I thought was really, well, first I'll ask the, the, there's two questions that somebody put forward around this. And one was in regard to um, Saudi Arabia specifically. And I want to include, in, you know, Israel in that and wondering whether or not what we just saw there the real story, the background is, is in the interest of Saudi Arabia or mm, Israel. Right. Yeah. I saw that question. So, uh, here Braz had a question is the war on terror, a campaign in the interests of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And I'm adding and Israel yeah, personally. So I think that's exactly. You could absolutely equally say is the war on terror, a campaign in the interests of Israel is the war on terror, a campaign in the interests of the United States is the war on terror, a campaign in the interests of the UK is the war on terror, a campaign in the interests of Canada. Japan, Australia, I mean, honestly, pick a country. And the answer to every single one of those would be yes. Um, an incredibly important insight about the entire war of terror that we have experienced, are continuing to experience, is that every single authoritarian structure in the world saw the events of 9-11 take place and were licking their lips, salivating at the prospect of having the blank check. Now we're all fighting a war on terror and we can call our enemies terrorists. Right. So we feel your pain, America, and we're part of the war on terror. We're getting those terrorists in. Name your spot. Vladimir Putin. I'm fighting the war in Chechnya. Those damn terrorists in Chechnya. I'm part of the war on terror. Um, absolutely everyone was part of the war on terror because they could all say whoever was against them was terrorists everyone benefited from it. Now, that does not mean they're all uh, equally culpable. Clearly, Saudi Arabia, uh, Israel, the United States, the United Kingdom all had operational level um, involvement in 9-11 and the various other false flags and plots of the War of Terror on a much deeper level than Canada, Australia, Japan, whatever. Um, but do the, who, who benefits? Who is the war on terror in the interest of? Name a government, and I'll show you who it's in the interest of. Interesting point you we touched on a moment ago is the kind of Turkey and Kurds point, right? Where mm -hmm. same point, where they're they're a, yeah. a literally in the in the moment an ally or at least a useful tool of the U.S. government. Meanwhile, Turkey's literally calling them terrorists and attacking them, and no one seems to care about it. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a catch all exactly. Yeah. Well, the the part that I wanted to bring that to was the interesting over the you can't miss a constant kind of overlay of the Shiite Shia divide in this and that is a, a very clear it was very few are, are as interested or used that or discussed that as much as the israel and the united states and plenty a few others and so the israel overlap to that because i i find that there are even more specific to put a point on at the the video let's say of the the deep fake discussion and the tie back to israeli spies and you could make that line almost every single point in this so do you think that this is more that it's a, a collaborative kind of effort or do you think there's one group that seems more behind this than, than the others. And like, for me, I feel like that's an Israeli government kind of point, but I wanted your thoughts on that. Right. As I say, the operational level detail in these false flag events point back to the intelligence agencies at the very least and various members of the government and corporate structure, obviously in Israel, in mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia, in the United States, in the United Kingdom, primarily. Um, and then when you look at, uh, 
uh, what's happened in Syria, for example, you're looking at Turkey and uh, uh, some of the other regional sort of powers there. Um, but it's, uh, uh, my sense is the intelligence agencies, uh, again, people have to understand the structure of these types of operations. It, even within the intelligence agencies themselves, there's like the, the hierarchical diagram that you could draw. Okay, there's the director and he, here's you know, the people in charge of this unit and that unit. And then there's, they report to these people. But that's not really how intelligence works at all. It is based on individual uh, relationships, alliances, people, cadres, groups within compartmentalization of these agencies make it so the groups within can be doing things that other other people in the CIA have no idea about. Other people in Mossad might not know what Unit 8200 is doing and mm -hmm. certain groups within Unit 8200 and all of these different, I mean, it's about people. And there are people in all of these intelligence agencies who absolutely undoubtedly network with each other and connect on various things. And with something like a 9-11, like something that big, that important, it it's not one particular okay, it's this, it's this group for this one reason. Mm -hmm. That type of spectacular event happens because a number of groups' interests converge at that event happening. And they will collaborate, um, sometimes just passively knowing about it and looking the other way, sometimes deliberately having agents on the ground making things happen. But at any rate, those types of spectacular events can only happen when the interests can converge on that. So absolutely, uh, uh, Israel, for example, as we point out in this documentary, clean break. The, the I mean, look at that plan. That right. plan is to destabilize ultimately Syria in the interest of Israel by doing what? By removing Saddam Hussein from power in Iraq. And oh yeah, that benefits Israel as well. And you know, then you get the literal people who are literally writing that report for the Israeli Prime Minister, then being embedded as literal members of the Bush administration, making that happen in Iraq. You know, less than a decade later. You don't, it, it's not even connecting dots. Those dots are already connected, right? right so right. Uh, again, it's just, it, there's such a mesh of these types of outright on the table things that you don't even have to. I mean, there's no conspiracy theorizing involved here. It's right there for people to see. Look, look no further for that example than the lockstep agenda for COVID-19 for like almost every government world round the same agenda. I mean, you can't look at that any other way. They, there's coordination there, no matter what anybody thinks. No, Ryan, you <laughs> conspiracy theorist. No, no, no. Right. Every single world leader just decided to start saying build back better at the same time for no <laughs> reason. It really is that ridiculous, though. That's that's what's so that's why I think people see this stuff, because it's just you have to choose to think that makes sense against your own internal logic you know it's it's mind-blowing but uh so i i if you guys want to jump in with some other questions otherwise i have a couple more from the chat brock brock anybody have any from the yeah, uh, throw, throw one. Mm -hmm. sure um this one comes from uh aren't be truthful um and it actually sort of goes back to uh what you were saying just before ryan about actually how you actually got some kind of positive outlook from this documentary which is honestly really that's Awesome. Um, but Aunt B. Truthful said, uh, us, I believed in the AE 911 Truth Grand Jury. I want to believe in the Corona Investigative Committee and their ability to bring justice and protection from these armies of criminals. Do we have any reason to hope for this? It's a um, good question. What are your guys' sense on that? 
Well, I'll jump in with that. I mean, so I think, you know, call me a pessimist or, you know, jaded, but I have a hard time feeling like from institutional level, like there's going to be some kind of some, you know, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try like, or like a, like a court action. You know, I just don't have faith in the court system today, but we should still try. So I I think yes is the answer. We should always have hope because we are seeing it. Whether those institutions or the courts actually do anything, we are making this happen as the people. So Mm. yes, hundred percent. But uh, like, as I think it was Dr. Henry uh, Ely was just talking about, he's got this huge court thing going on and he's frustrated because so many people are going, oh, that's a waste of time. We should try everything we can, you know, because I think we're making a difference just by doing that and then being shut down. Even that is an obvious example of how, you know, that the truth is being shut down, that kind of thing. So, yes, I believe so. Yeah, there's definitely right. a place. For, there's definitely a place for them. Absolutely. Um, to put to pin all your hopes on those kind of uh, institutions and stuff, you know, I think it's probably a little naive. Yeah. Um, but you never know. There might be one day one will get through. One will we'll find a little chink in the armor, and you know that'll only help to um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's my thoughts on this. People, I, I think people are always caught up on the silver bullet. And right. either this thing will bring down everything and expose it all, and uh, these people will end up in chains, you know, at Leavenworth breaking ro- stones, or it's a complete failure. And no, it is always something in between, and it, you have absolutely no idea what could come out in some court action or something along the lines that would have some sort of effect that'll have the, the ripple effect that will do something you wouldn't ever expect. Case right. in point, towards the beginning of part three here, we mentioned... Again, as briefly as we can, Operation Northwoods, right? Of course, which obviously has relevance to what took place on 9-11. Oh, we're just going to take this plane and 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 swap out a passenger jet with fake CIA people pretending to be students and, and remote control the plane over Cuba, blow it up with a fake message screaming Mayday on it, and we'll blame it on Cuba. Nothing to do with what happened on 9-11, right? Um, but... Uh, it, how do we even know about Operation Northwoods? Because I make the statement in here that uh, it was re- first revealed to the public in uh, April of 2001. And I guess that's that's true in the sense that I think the first, uh, to my knowledge, the first national real news coverage of Operation Northwoods was by James Bamford in the LA Times. I'm not sure who he was writing for at the time. But anyway, it was in a mainstream publication in April of 2001. But How did he know about it? Where did the documents come from? How did we know about them? It's because of the JFK Records Act of 1992, um, which uh, opened up all sorts of JFK records and and things. And one of the documents in there was Operation Northwoods. And I believe it was commented on at the time um, when that first was revealed to to researchers, like, okay, here's all these records that were uh, unsealed in uh, in the course of this investigation. Uh, but it, it didn't get really press coverage until uh, April 2001. Where did the JFK Records Act? How was that passed? What was that about? That was because of Oliver Stone's JFK. And suddenly there was this huge wave of interest in the JFK assassination once again. And pro- politicians loving to get out in front of the parade and pretend they're leading it. Uh-huh. Okay, we'll start this JFK Records Review Board. And h- here's the JFK Records Act. And that ended up resulting in the release of Operation Northwoods. And that, that got reported on just before 9-11. It's all part of this tapestry. And you never know what action in what way. Maybe the making of some movie is going to inspire some sort of legislative thing that will release some document that will 
put a major piece of the puzzle in place. Who knows? I think one thing that we, you know, everybody can learn, has hopefully learned in life is that you tend to learn more from your failures than your successes. And I think that's the point to take there is that even failures have an impact. And you could argue that that's what that ultimately was, you know, kind of a co-opting of it and acting like we're in charge and they thought this was going to pacify everybody and maybe they didn't. And that just slipped through somehow, or maybe it was meant to come out, who knows, but ultimately it's, it, we have to see it like that is that, you know, it, it will have an effect as the chink in the armor, as you put it. And I, if you I don't mean, mind, hey, okay. here's, here's a thought. Would I be sitting here today even talking to you if it weren't for that that release of that record back then? Because one of the things that made me start to actually start paying attention, it was just one of the things, but it was an important thing that made me start paying attention to this crazy 9-11 conspiracy theorizing after, you know, clicking on stupid videos about flying orbs and stuff. Oh, wait, Operation Northwoods? What's that? And I could go and I could look and literally uh, find online the actual document itself and read it for myself. Oh, they really did plan all this craziness. So that was one important thing along my path towards where I am today. Back when the internet and YouTube was actually still allowing yeah. things to be discussed and looked <laughs> <Really> at. <useful. laughs> well, if you don't mind, I'm going to play a really quick, short, like minute clip that I, I pulled up while we were doing this that was very relevant to the discussion. I'm sure you've all seen Patrick Claussen, the Washington Institute. I just want to play this because it seems so relevant to, I mean, the Iran discussion is still on the table, you know, like or that's the Iran was the end game in the discussion of the five, five countries, seven years and all this different stuff. So you guys have probably all seen this. Crisis initiation is really tough. And it's very hard for me to see how the United States uh, president can get us to war with Iran. Um, which leads me to conclude that if, in fact, compromise is not coming, that the traditional way of Amer America gets to war is what would be best for U.S. interests. Uh, some people might think that Mr. Roosevelt wanted to get us into World War II, as David mentioned. You may recall we had to wait for Pearl Harbor. Some people might think Mr. Wilson wanted to get us into World War I. You may recall he had to wait for the Lusitania episode. Some people might think that Mr. Johnson wanted to send troops to Vietnam. You may recall he had to wait for the Gulf of Tonkin episode. Uh, we didn't go to war with Spain until the USS, uh, yes. until the Maine exploded. And may I point out that Mr. Lincoln did not feel he could call out the Federal Army until Fort Sumter was attacked which is why he ordered the commander at Fort Sumter to do exactly that thing which the South Carolinians had said would cause an attack. So if, in fact, the Iranians aren't going to compromise, it would be best if somebody else started the war. Now, I just did the quick part of that. There's, you know, the more of it where, you know, one day a submarine may go down, it might not come back up, you know, like the whole talk. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just so, I, I was cutting that while. And who would playing. know? Yeah, you know, it, it, but it's just so on the surface, you know, yeah, the, the, exactly. exactly the thing that would exactly. cause the attack, you know, it's, there's it's, no, there's no artifice there. What kind of real literal psychopath talks like that? Oh, initiation is difficult, but it's difficult to see how the president could start a war with Iran, but maybe and the traditional way like that, who, who not only thinks like that, but then talks about it openly as if. Well, you know, you were all buddies. We're all in on this, right? So how can we start some absolute insanity? At least, at least Cheney had the good sense of not talking about that openly, right? It was, as we saw, as Hirsch uh, reported on back a decade plus ago, uh, he, they were going to paint up U.S. boats as Iranian PT boats, put Navy SEALs on them and pretend it was Iranians attacking Americans. Mm -hmm. Just nonsense like that. But th at least they did it behind closed doors. But here he's talking about it openly. And, and we should con 
overlap this with the the you know when when Bolton was in with the Trump administration and the whole overlap with what happened there. Remember that all boiled down after the limpet mines and all that to them seeing them move boats in their own harbor, and that was literally all that was there. That was the Bethlehem Doctrine, right? And so it's just these are the things that we know. Imagine what we don't know. I mean, it's probably everything for all we know. It's that's yeah, how it feels it's today. Uh, like in the 70s. Uh, oh, the Russians are sending MiGs over to uh, was it Cuba or in, somewhere in Latin America. And they were, oh, my God, the Russians are sending MiGs. And ultimately what that ultimately sourced from was some satellite photos of crates, shipping containers. And they right. thought, well, these could be MiGs. <laughs> so therefore, they, they are MiGs. <laughs> like right. it's it, it, they just Every single time you open up this box, it's the exact same thing because it works. That's one of the earliest things I remember thinking from some of your work, Corp, James, is, is just basically like, like I remember watching the Oklahoma City bombing discussion going, oh, you know, what isn't tied to MKUltra or, you know, like it's just, it's so interesting. The more you dig into these, the more you find fingerprints all over, you know, it, it just maybe just taking advantage, never let a good crisis go to waste or pull cloth. It's just, you know, it's hard not to see it that way today. But uh, I think I had some other questions in here. Let's see. Uh, well, I got. Oh, you know what? I had one that was a good broad one. Uh, this was somebody in the Discord asked, uh, basically uh, quoting Carl Rove. Uh, I can read the whole quote if you guys aren't familiar. But he just says the ending of the quote would where uh, we are history's actors, and you, all of you, will be left to just study what we do. And the question is, what do we do to get ahead of this? Essentially, that all of this is a big show instead of forever chasing the tail of the narrative. Like, what should yeah. we do instead? Yeah. Uh, I hope people saw my message about slash to the 9-11 Truth Movement on the 20th anniversary last year, where I did quote from that. I talked about it quite directly. Um, but yes, incredibly important quotation. And I hope people will look that up if they haven't seen it. Uh, it, it says so much about the nature of the empire that has been constructed, the empire of lies where, and the way that it operates because Rove is correct in a sense, they will create the, these situations out of whole cloth. They will create this nonsense and then, you know, normal human beings who don't like to be lied to will come along and examine those lies and parse them and discover, oh, this is total malarkey. This is nonsense. This contradicts that. This is, but in the meantime, they're moving on to something else. And I think there is a valuable lesson in there. I mean, one thing might be to say, okay, then we shouldn't look at the, you know, anything. We shouldn't examine any of this. No, obviously I'm creating documentaries about this, these lies in order to expose them. I think there is value to that. But I think we really do have to be careful as researchers, as either independent media producers like we are, or people out in the public who are watching this type of content to, to not just simply get caught up in the current thing. And I don't just mean the current thing that, you know, we'll, we'll label all oh, those normies are caught up in the current thing. There are, the, there's the current thing in the independent media space too, right. that, we have to all now, okay, now everyone will talk about and think and um, examine this one subject. And if you don't talk about this, you're a shill and blah, blah, blah. Oh, what about this? What about that? What about the, what about they're do what, what they're doing next? What about this other thing? And people get hung up on this, this red meat that's been thrown out to them about this one particular topic. And it becomes the only thing that people start talking about. That's to me is one of the concerning possibilities, trends that can happen in the independent media is that just, They'll throw out the red meat and the stupid lies in certain places and mm -hmm. everyone will jump on them like vultures just waiting for that, that meat. And 
Meanwhile, they're off doing other things in, in the background. I use the dangling cat doy analogy, you know, and like they just dangle over the top and we all bat at it. And sometimes, sometimes it's, it's like you said, it's, there's information there that is important and we should look at yeah. it, but they, they're just hoping that we take that and go in that direction. And, you know, usually at the end, there are some important lies that just de derail you in the right direction. Yeah. That, that's what I always pointed out with the Q discussion. You know, there were some things or, you know, or, or even just like, I, I, there's a lot of examples, but where there is things that get, there are things that get discussed that are valid and true, but it's grouped with a lot of, th you know, the, it's all, it's, you know, what is it someone said before the, a good, the best liar surrounded by 99% truth, you know, however that paraphrasing of that argument goes, because it's, you know, they saddle you with all the truth and you take the lie too, you know? I use the old cliche that, you know, I learned from the past just to, figure out to help better guide and uh, provide vision, future vision of what might be coming and what we know is coming. Right. Um, and as we've seen throughout the whole Al-Qaeda story, from the very, from the start, way back with the Saudis and the British, all the way through to the end there, the modus operandi doesn't really change that much. It, the, the, there's subtle differences with when new technologies become available and, and new strategies, of course, but the, the fundamental basis of the lies is still, is still there in its core. You know, so if we can really understand that better, then I think that'll serve as well going into the future. Absolutely. Yeah, well said. They really do have play one, two, and three. It's what it feels like. It's just this redundant effort with new characters and new narratives. Obama to, you know, the next person. It's it's uh, pretty obvious, I think. I'm hoping people can see that as well. Um, I've got a, I've got three questions that I had pulled off that are more kind of like the next, you know, where this is all going. So I didn't know if you guys had any more that were like pertaining to the documentary itself before we go to those. I've got Anybody some production else? questions, um, but not anything really pertaining to... Uh, Let me check this other chat real quick. Uh, I don't really... I don't see anything oh, else. Actually, oh, sorry, I do, yeah. oh, sorry, I do have one. Um, okay. From Dance10Dogs3. Um, do you guys think 9-11 was in part to see if people were at the point where they were willing to ignore their common sense, evidence, and blatant, and, and blatant lies and hypocrisy right in front of their own eyes, and then accept what was said to them by the government slash MSM? unquestioningly. Hmm. Right. I kind of think that's always happening. Yeah. 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 Do I think that's why 9-11 took place or why it took place at that time? Not particularly, but was the public's reaction to that event studied and analyzed and yeah. computed as part of the uh, data that's fed into the next algorithm for the next false flag? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The public is always being studied in that way, I'm sure. Yeah, I agree. I definitely think that's something that's a constant, you know, and like, I think, I think like I'll, I'll use an analogy of like right now we had the COVID-19 narrative that's kind of, you know, a, a perceived lull and the monkeypox narrative has kind of jumped in there. And I, I you know, I, I, my gut tells me that's not really going to be the next big thing. It's just kind of like, are they still buying it? You know, do you guys still, are you still worried? You know, and it's, it's a constant, I think, and it's whether it's seen by everybody. <clears throat> um, I got the three last ones I have here are, um, Actually, let's do this one first. Uh, Gr. Great Sergi's ghost <laughs> asks uh, any for specifically Corbett any predictions for the American phase of this of this campaign, like the internal you know domestic terrorism. Uh, well, predictions are always difficult, especially about the future. So I I can talk about the possibilities because um, there I think that's more the operative question. There are always multiple possibilities on the table. And I don't think anyone, I don't think there is necessarily a script that is written that, uh, you know, this is what's going to happen next year and the year after that and the year after that. I think it's more like, okay, this is happening. So let's try this. No, 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 that didn't work. Okay, let's try this. Oh, that worked. Okay, we'll go down that road. I think that's more what we're 
looking at. So in the domestic terror meme idea that's being floated, there are, again, multiple possibilities. There is the Civil War 2.0 type of possibility towards this. As I say, the left loves to call the right domestic terrorists. And the right is certainly tempted to call the left domestic terrorists, and they will use this as part of the ratcheting up of some sort of Civil War 2.0. So getting, you know, the old divide and conquer strategy it could, could certainly work in this case. It could be spun off into a different direction. Um, I, it could even act on a, on a sort of a metaphorical level. And that was a point that I tried to make in my work on uh, COVID-9-11. Um, corporatereport.com slash COVID-9-11, that it's the same idea, homeland security and biosecurity is the same underlying idea, but with a key difference. So in the, obviously in the homeland security terror idea, the terrorists are bearded, scary Muslims who want to kill you for your freedom or whatever. Um, in the biosecurity idea, it's, well, it's these invisible pathogens that are spreading between people and you could be an asymptomatic carrier. So you could be a terrorist and you don't even know it. You're a bio terrorist. You're a bio walking bio weapon. And I think that's, that's the way that this starts to go sort of levels deeper and deeper into our psyche with each iteration so that now it doesn't have to be the, I mean, they can do things like the Azov uh, movement and things like that, but it doesn't have to be that literal or that that outward. It's now, well, may, maybe I am a terrorist. Maybe I do have the the dreaded scourge of this bio uh, the bio weapon in within me, and maybe I am spreading it around. So mm. there's that could even, in a sense, play a role in the domestic terror idea because essentially, what what else did we just see happen over the past couple of years with entire populations being locked down inside their homes as potential spreaders. That is the sort of homeland security idea being weaponized against the average population. Yeah, I agree. And I, it may seem a little on the nose, but my audience knows that we, I, I feel it makes the most sense what's been presented. And as you said, it's contingencies upon contingencies. And if we see it too clearly, they may shift in the direction, which you know doesn't mean it wasn't something that was planned like Northwoods, but the idea that this is this overlap has been almost clumsily put together where it, the, the thing that seems the most likely with Ukraine and the bio labs and, and Newland and all this different stuff is that it, the Azov movement or some entity, should they decide could carry out some kind of act in the United States. And that's not outside the realm of like historical precedence, you know, like this kind of act, I mean, outside the United States, but that that would then tie all of this together, the vanilla ISIS crossover, you know, the, the biosecurity risk and the, you know, it's, it's all becomes the same idea. We even saw the anthrax kind of, it seemed almost unnecessary other than to kind of scare people at that time. So maybe they tried it a little early, you know, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. There's always a way that sometimes they can overplay their hand a little bit too much. I know Whitney Webb has that feeling with some, um, with the vaccines as well. They sort of maybe overplay their hand a little bit too much. And now a lot of people are really just, at their end with with the whole narrative essentially they're done with it they're not gonna they're not listening to the health authority figures anymore they know a vast majority of what we were told is complete bs so there is always that aspect that sometimes yeah they do overplay the hand they do lift the drop the mask a little bit too much and then everyone sort of sees the eye of sauron for, for the first time you know yeah. so yeah yeah the anthrax story in particular is interesting because clearly that was meant to be part of the terror war narrative right 
but it didn't quite work out. It was very quickly like, oh, this wasn't Iraq. Wait, this came from U.S. Way. Oh, hey, ooh, okay, let's never talk about that again. So, right. yeah, there was a sense that that didn't quite go according to plan. Even even Fort Detrick, too. Like the whole crossover that was just directly, in my opinion, connected to, in some ways to what's going on with all of this. I mean, there's so much there. Again, just to be clear, this is completely my theory, my opinion, call me conspiracy theorist, if you will. I think there's a lot to that just as a possibility, you know? So we have to consider how those kind of things can happen. And that's, that concerns me because of how much that was pushed in a very, I mean, all of this feels clumsy. So it just makes you feel some kind of impending timeline that we don't see, you know, just have to ask these questions. I think it's important. Well, the last two I have one was uh, what's, what's up next for the Corbett report. I'm sure you guys have if you want to give any insight into the next thing, part four, part four, no? <laughs> Slate? Rock, what do you want? What do you want to do? Um, uh, I don't know. Uh, James, you're the, you're the captain of this ship, and I'm just your humble lieutenant. So uh, uh, I, think, I, think I, uh, I tried to take a weekend off, but then uh, Queen Elizard Beast kicked the bucket, so I had to write a 3,500-word uh, a <laughs> expose of the British royal family after just completing the 18,000 word transcript of this part three documentary, it's a 50,000 word documentary altogether. Wow. Um, I, you know, actually, okay, here's, here's the craziest part of all of this. Last night, I actually had a dream that I was in or watching or part of, but also watching, you know, dream logic, uh, some sort of, it was like either a documentary and or some sort of like Zero Dark Thirty-ish Hollywood-ish production about the terror war and stuff. And I, I swear to God, even Bin Laden's name came up in my dream, which is That's a sign awesome. that I think I've, yeah, I, I've I've kind of reached my limit. I, I think I need a bit of a, a breather <laughs> at the moment. So Brock, let's take a few days. We'll just lie low for a little while while people yeah, digest this documentary. And then I'll think about where we're heading next. Yeah, people also forget that uh, James just put literally the microsecond that you that we finished the Media Matrix series, we began work on part three of the Al Qaeda yeah. series. So this is actually part three. Yeah, I remember penning this part of the introduction to that Zamari Mahdi story back in like January or something. Mm -hmm. So it's been on yeah. the in the works for a while. But yeah, we really got down to work as soon as the Media Matrix dropped. We're straight into yeah. the next project. This um. <laughs> This flies very well to a question that I we got sent in by the one and only the esteemed Barry Dutton, who I am always uh, informed that he is the unofficial member of the Brock West fan club, which I didn't know was. <laughs> but nice. thank you, Barry. You are the president. You know, I will be uh, member number one. Um, he sort of has a two-parter, James. Um, what is the top scene that you really wanted to put in the documentary that we had to leave on the cutting room floor? And I'm sure that maybe you'll talk about it in, in future episodes or something. Uh, Ryan, I think you might have mentioned the uh, Wesley Clark five, five countries yeah. and seven, seven countries and five years. Uh, that was in there at one point. It was chopped out. Um, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff. As I've uh, as I've mentioned before, we will absolutely do a follow up podcast episode just showing some of the stuff that we actually did have ready and in the documentary that we had to take out due to time. Uh, that being one of them. But for me, it is uh, it is unthinkable to do a two hour documentary on the war of terror and to not even have more than a passing reference to the illegal CIA torture program. Hmm. That is such an important and huge story. And a, uh, unfortunately, one of those stories that, again, the news cycle has long since moved on. People might think, oh, you know, whatever. That was a huge, big thing that happened there. And there was this, a little section that did kind of 
at least bring bring up one of the torture victims and how that was used. But that's an incredibly important underlying part of the war of terror narrative, that the extraction of t torture testimony that was then used to construct the 9-11 commission report. So, you know, there, there's a specific scene that people will see later on, but it could have been so much more than that even. And don't forget that this is a good point to include the two-party illusion overlap there, that, that they went from being one of the most horrendous scars on the memory of this country to, oh, it's about freedom now because Trump's in power. Now we're putting the bad guys there. You know, it's like, think about how in, whether, again, well, I asked I mean, whether no, people actually, actually thought that. that. Because under Bush, of course, you had the right going, yeah, you know, get those, those bastards and the left going, this is terrible. And then Obama uh, suddenly, oh, okay, what? Torture? Who cares? Whatever. Right. Da, da, da. And then Trump. Okay, yay. And then Great the Republicans point. are back on board. It's just, it's so obvious to me, having lived through now the, the succession of the left, right, left, right, left, right game. I, I cannot for the life of me understand. I get 20 year olds. It's their first ride. They're their first rodeo. They have no idea what's going on. They're just caught up in the, but Surely anyone with a few gray hairs in their beard understands what is happening. Right? Right? Yeah. Like to hope so. I, I, you know, I, I want to believe that today. I know I'm, I'm beating a dead horse with this guys, but I, there's enough evidence out there for us to think that the very least more than ever are questioning all of this hashtag vote. Nobody 2024, right? That's where we need to be going. Abstention is a real thing guys in protest, but that's for the largest uh, voting <laughs> in every single U S presidential election. The largest block of the electorate is didn't vote right every right. single time the majority and and there is a valid discussion well, to be had about sorry, the, sorry i should say the plurality okay. because often there's more than 50 percent who vote but but it's 20 percent for this candidate 20 percent yeah. for that but 49 percent or whatever didn't vote at all right right i just it's it's a valid political choice to abstain in a protest right which is not, not, not caring I, I, let me back you up on that um uh how to free your tax cattle which I did back, uh, that was my presentation at Anarchopoco 2015, um, which was a follow-up to how to how to herd your tax cattle, which was a, a podcast I did. People should look that, those ones up. They were well worth uh, revisiting. But how to free your tax cattle, I do specifically make the point. Imagine if they held a, an election and no one showed up. No right. one cast about. No one was, yes, I choose this person to rule over me. No, I choose this person. What if nobody participated? What the entire system loses its legitimacy in an instant. Yep. I'll include this in the show notes to check out. I, I, and I, I just, that's a point that I just can't, I hope people will look at this and read it for themselves. You know, the idea that it, it, it's people act like that is lazy or that's going to lead. Well, they're just going to do what they want. Then. Well, they're already doing what they want. That's the way you take from what we're watching here. That's already happening. So we need to show the world that they no longer represent us. And I'm not saying we have all the answers. I, I don't know. But the point is we need to start recognizing the problem before we go in any other direction. That's where I think we are. Absolutely. 100%. The, mm. uh, the last one from, from my side of it was one that I just, you know, that I like because I want this to happen. Somebody asked, please do a screw YouTube song with James at the end. I won't happen today. I, I argue because we're not prepared, but I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do it. Absolutely. absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Look, look forward to that because I think I think YouTube needs to be called out more because for all their <laughs> it's true. I'm just worried that my audience will think it's the only song I've ever written because it's the only <laughs> one I ever play <laughs> on the podcast. Maybe but, we uh, should start a band. That's what I was saying. Hey, <laughs> in the there back you go. chat. <laughs> but uh, that uh, was it. actually on that note, just a shameless little bit of self plug. If people are interested, Kodomosan.com is the, the the website of my band, uh, Kodomosan. 
James, can you please include that? I want to put that in the yeah. show notes because sure. my audience knows well my SoundCloud and, and the and the, the music sure, I sure, put sure. out. And I have a new one, by the way, yeah. that I haven't actually put on there yet. Um, the truth will come. I played it live the other day at a, at a show, but I, I want to include yours as well so people can well, know that. It's, well, it's, it's mostly not political. I think IP Freely is the only song I've ever done that's that is like that. But um, mine's all political. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny yeah. is the two main songs I wrote that are are hot, like very political and very relevant today. I wrote those like five, seven years ago, which is interesting. You know, what are you gonna yeah. say, Brian? Yeah, uh, you know, th this is the thing. So much of this it does not go stale. It's not just chasing the the sort of the tail of the latest news story. No, so much of so much of the I, that's one of the things I'm proud of about what I've done in the 15 years of the corporate report is so much of it is still relevant. I can mm -hmm. go back into my archives from 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11 and bring out stuff that is absolutely as relevant today as it ever was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, while we're doing shameless self plugs. Um, so uh, this documentary, again, I hope I, I hope people can understand this is an incredible amount of work to bring this to to in front of you. And I. Uh, Honestly, I Brock, no one will ever know, but thank you for doing what you do um, and being along on this ride with me. It's it's a lot of work, um, but not this isn't a sob story. The, the, the point of this is actually it's a minor miracle that this can happen at all, that we live in an age where me, a lowly English teacher in Japan, could start could quit his job and start doing this full time because I am blessed to have an audience that supports me in this. And brings it to the public. And I can put this out 100% for free, totally freely available to the world. Spread this to everyone you know. 50,000 word transcript, five plus hour video, audio, all of it completely free because people do support me. So thank you for that. Anyone who does want to support this work and see more documentaries like this in the future, you can go to corporatereport.com slash members and sign up for to become a, a regular paying member of the website. Of course, also there is the documentaries uh, on DVDs. This documentary is not yet on DVD. Manufacturing snafus and other things being what they are, I couldn't get it out for today, but it will be available in the future. In uh, in the meantime, uh, if you go to newworldnextweek.com, newworldnextweek.com, you can buy some of my other documentaries, including 9-11 documentaries like 9-11 Trillions, 9-11 War Games. Again, all of these are available for free off of my website, so if you don't have to buy anything. But if you want to support it and you want a physical copy, I sell DVDs, right. various things. And having said all of that, thank you, Ryan, for the work that you do. Yeah. I know the incredible amount of effort that you put into your uh, productions as well. So tell my audience how they can support you and your work. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate that. And I just, that what I was going to say after that, what you just said is that that's, I, I, a lot of credit goes to you and your work and the kind of open source investigation. And I model a lot of that after the work that I've watched from you over the years. And I made a very dangerous and scary choice a while back to go to wholeheartedly, like just, if you want to support this, support me, I'm not going to be advertising. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be influenced. And Thank I thank God that choice was made. And I, same thing. I'm so I can't even express how grateful I am for the people in this chat that believe in what I'm doing, believe in what you're doing enough to take money out of their own pocket at a point when they've probably never been in more dire situation and give it to something like this because they believe in it. And people want that desperately right now. And there's the reason for that. So again, thank you. So for those out there that want to support my work, the best place is always the last American vagabond.com. I think the the link is let me just bring it up real quick. The link is uh, lastamericanvagabond.com 
uh, forward slash, I think don't, yeah, forward slash donations, forward slash donations slash form. That's a little bit weirdly complicated, I guess, <laughs> but, but I'll include it in the show so you guys can check out. So. <laughs> but as well as all the, you know, any other places we talk about, subscribe star, buy me a coffee. But, you know, as, as always, guys, if you want to support this work, the first most important thing you should do is just spread it, get it in front of other people, talk about it. And through that, hopefully that will just create more support, which will bleed over into that kind of donation, you know, and as well as a mailing address, by the way, that's all going to be underneath this video. So thank you, James. I appreciate that. Excellent. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm utterly exhausted. I'm going to go collect <laughs> and do a puddle on the floor somewhere and recuperate for a few days anyway. All right. Well-deserved guys, both of you. We didn't get to the, uh, the background questions, but I'm, we can maybe oh. put those out somewhere else unless you guys want to take one or two, but I think you guys are tired. So you deserve your rest. <laughs> Rock, anything you want to tackle before we go? Just very quickly. Um, uh, another question came in. Uh, what was the last 10 days like editing with this deadline? Any thoughts, challenges, what's it like? Um, yeah, it's pressure. Um, we, especially with that uh, 9-11 stuff. Obviously, we have to get it out by 9-11. Luckily for us, September 12th, because we're over the, over the date line. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> we get the extra few hours there. Yeah, <laughs> get the extra few hours. But, you know, that's when it really starts to ramp up and we have to go, James and I are sending hundreds of hundreds upon tens of gigabytes of files to each other constantly, checking, triple checking, fine tooth combing, going through everything, yeah. music, diegetics, all this kind of stuff yeah. to to get to the finished product, you know. So, yeah, of course, as the um, the project I started working on was July 18. So to get all that done and see, it was a long time going through it, but now it's really such a short amount of time to get this level of documentary out there. Yeah. Um, so, Although, and, hey, Brock, to be fair, we did finish up a, a, a four or five days ago. I mean, we've, we, yeah. we've had a little bit of a buffer this time, unlike yeah, no, in the past where we really have been working to the last possible. I think, I, I think it was part one, yeah. We were literally down in the last kind of half an hour or something, get this thing done. Yeah. It's, um, and just one more related <laughs> question about my editing. Um, yeah, as I said, how long, how long did it take to edit part three? About six or seven weeks, eight weeks, give or take. Um, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, <laughs> nonstop, pretty much. And uh, what software do I use to edit? Uh, I mainly use Premiere for the editing, and then I use After Effects for some of the more intricate, fancier visuals, and then, of course, Photoshop. That's pretty much it. Hmm. Just such a hat tip, man. Again, just Brock, you know, even as you saying that, I'm sure people still don't really fully understand how much. I don't even think I fully understand what it takes to put this kind of thing out. So well done, guys. Really well yeah. done. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate Thank it. You. And thanks to everyone out there for watching, man. Yes. 100%. Thank you guys so much for your support. It means everything to us. And as James and Ryan says, we this doesn't exist without you guys supporting us in a variety of ways. So thank you all so very much. Absolutely. Any last words from you guys before I wrap up? That sounds portentous. Uh, uh, see, see you again. <laughs> well, I just wanted to basically make sure we reiterate the point that this is one of the main focuses here was the fact that we're pirate streaming, that we're trying to circumvent the censorship. And that's one thing you can do to support this is, you know, try not to use the platforms that we know are censoring us. Go to the ones that support us, that want that want to allow the free speech and the free discussion to be had because you don't see this kind of stuff there. I can almost promise you by tomorrow this will be this will be uh, like the last two already were blocked on YouTube by the time this, you know, gets some kind of reach. So we just need to realize that they don't want you seeing this. And why is that exactly? Because this is provable information. It's important to think about. So hashtag Corbett Pirate Streams, hashtag T-Lab Pirate Streams. Make sure you support the work, guys. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.